If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we've been in a series the last several weeks that we've been calling Seven Letters. And we're looking at the seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven real churches in ancient Asia Minor. And these were real churches in real cities. And uh, uh, these letters have so much practical truth and exhortation in them. And so I'm looking forward to studying the fourth church today. Week number one, we passed out even a journal. Did anybody bring their journal with them? Wow, a lot more in the 1130 service. I think in the first service, it was Rakia only that had her journal with her. Revelation chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. And uh, we would love for you to be able to follow along today. We'll start reading here in verse number 18. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Revelation 2, verse number 18. The Bible says this. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest or allows that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the chur churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule with them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject, hold on tight. In fact, everybody look to your neighbor and say, hold on tight. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this season that we're in as a church, studying these letters and just the work that you've been doing in various ministries. God, thank you for teenagers that accepted you this week. God, thank you for, over the last two weeks, 13 people praying to accept you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that we would never lose sight of our mission as a church and why you have planted us right here in Rancho Cucamonga. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way through your word. 
God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that I would communicate the exact words that you would want me to communicate. And Lord, I pray that in this time we can be challenged together. I pray that we would find comfort. And Lord, I pray that we would seek to be obedient and submissive, not to our own desires and to our own will, but to your word and your will. And we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said today. When Katie and I first got married, we went on our honeymoon to the beautiful island of, of Kauai. And uh, we went to Kauai in Hawaii, and uh, we wanted to have an adventure, and so we went on a boat tour. And this boat tour was on the Naipili Coast in Kauai. It's, it's one of the most beautiful coasts there in Kauai. It's untouched, uh, and so it's just uh, a beautiful place to observe uh, waterfalls and many different things. And Katie and I signed up for this, and I didn't sign up for the dinner cruise, and I didn't sign up for like the sunset sail. That would have been just kind of a peaceful thing. I signed up for the speed raft tour. And so we decided to go on this boat tour that was going to be extremely fast. And we showed up and the captain was there and he was taking things very serious. And he told us, okay, you've got to sign these waivers and the weather's going to be pretty rough today. And so under no circumstances, should you ever stand up while on this raft boat? Do not stand up. We were going to sit on the side of this raft, and there was rope all along the side of it, and we were to hold on to that rope as we were going uh, over the waves. And so we started out on this journey, and uh, it was going to be at about an hour and a half boat ride. And uh, we were just going out, and I kid you not, the waves were massive, and we were being thrown up into the air, and we were slamming down onto the water. And we were being thrown up into the air and slamming down onto the water. And there were kids on the boat that were crying, and uh, everyone was scared and nervous. And we finally got to the destination where we were going to pause for a little bit and the water calmed down. And I looked down at my knuckles and my knuckles were literally bleeding because I was holding on so tight to the rope and they were rubbing against the boat. And uh, man, it was an intense journey. And uh, I was holding on as tight as I could. And I didn't really have any other option because if I didn't hold on that tight, I would have easily just fallen into the water. And uh, I'll never forget how tight I was holding uh, onto that boat. And this morning we come to Revelation chapter two and we are looking at this church in Thyatira and Jesus writes a letter to this church and he has one overarching, overwhelming, powerful message to the church in Thyatira. And that is this, hold on tight. He says, hold on tight. In fact, I want you to see how Jesus says it in verse number 25. Notice what it says. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Those things that you have already received, those doctrines that you've already taught, you need to hold on to them as tight as you uh, possibly can. This was the message that Jesus was communicating. Now, of course, this is a message that we see all throughout Scripture. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. In other words, uh, those things that you've been taught in church, those things that you've read in your Bible, you need to pay attention and give earnest heed so that you're not forgetting and letting those things slip away. He's saying pay attention to those things, lest at any time we should let them slip. Uh, he's saying hold fast to the profession of your faith and don't let them go. And uh, I'm thankful today that when it comes to our salvation, uh, we don't have to hold on tight. When it comes to our salvation, the Bible says that we are safe and secure in the Father's hand and no man can pluck us out of our Father's hand. I'm thankful today that he holds on tight to us. Aren't you thankful for that truth today? And, and so uh, we're not holding tight uh, to keep our salvation, uh, but we are holding on tight to uh, the things that we have uh, heard and the things that we have learned in Scripture. And we need to hear this truth now more than ever. Because we live in a generation and a culture of young people where uh, we're constantly hearing about this idea of deconstruction. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? Where people are that grew up in the ministry, they grew up in the faith, and now they're deconstructing their faith. And many times it's because they were taught what to do, but they weren't taught why they should do that thing. They were taught the what and not the why. And so as a result, many people are deconstructing what it is that they believed, and they are walking away from the faith. And so Jesus says, this is happening at Thyatira, and we want to make sure that you are holding on tight to what it is that you believe. Now, the city of Thyatira was an interesting city. And uh, uh, it was a little city, and uh, it was the smallest city uh, out of all the seven cities that Jesus wrote a letter to. Many people thought that Thyatira was a very insignificant city, but I find it fascinating that it's to this little church in this little uh, insignificant seemingly city that Jesus writes his longest letter out of the seven letters. Jesus has something powerful that he wants to communicate to this little church located in Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was famous and known for two things. Uh, They were a little town, uh, but they were good at two things. The first was their production of this dye. Uh, They produced this certain color of purple uh, there in Thyatira that was greatly valued amongst royalty and the wealthy of the day. And the process by which they procured this uh, dye was a very interesting process. What they would do is they would have divers dive down into the water and they would capture and collect these little shellfish. And what they would do is they would cut the, the throat of the shellfish, and out of the throat would come one drop of dye. And mixed with the chemical composition of the water, uh, that dye would produce colors that you couldn't get anywhere else on earth. And so as a result, this was a very profitable business. Uh, this was a very expensive business to be a part of. And the Bible actually speaks to this business a few different times. If you remember when Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he goes to the city of Philippi, he meets a woman there named Lydia. And the Bible tells us, this about Lydia in Acts 16, verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, watch this, a seller of purple, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. And so we're introduced to this woman named Lydia, uh, who was there in Philippi. She's from, from Thyatira, and she's a businesswoman. She, she operated this dye production uh, business, a seller of purple. And we learned that she worshiped God, she heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And so it's a beautiful story where Lydia opened up her heart. And then if you keep reading in Acts 16, she opened up her home, and she allowed the church at Philippi to begin and start in her home. She was very hospitable. Many believe that Lydia was responsible for bringing the gospel back to Thyatira. And so she was a woman that was used by God to do some pretty great and wonderful things uh, for the glory of the Lord. I believe there's also a connection to Thyatira even at the cross. Are you still with me this morning? Uh, The Bible says this in Mark chapter 15, verse 17, and they clothed him, speaking of Jesus, with purple. Now, why did they do that? They did that to mock him. They said, you call yourself the king of the Jews? Well, here's a robe of purple. Wear wear the color of royalty then. And they plaited on him a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And so it would not be a stretch to say that that robe that they gave Jesus was manufactured in Thyatira. And so this little town has these uh, connections throughout uh, the New Testament. Now, the second thing that Thyatira was known for, the first was its production of dye. The second thing that Thyatira was known for was its uh, trade industry. William Barclay said this, from the inscriptions which have been found in the neighborhood, it is clear that Thyatira possessed, uh, possessed more trade guilds than any other town of its size in Asia. Now, you might be wondering, uh, what does this context matter, and why does it matter that we know these things? Well, uh, bear with me, because we'll see how this had a dramatic effect on the Christians that were living in Thyatira, but they were known for their trade industry. It was a working-class town, a middle-class town, and whatever trade you were involved in, you would belong to a certain guild, 
sort of like a union. You belong to this group. So if you were a carpenter, you belong to the carpenter's guild. If you were a painter, you would be a part of the painter's guild. And what would happen is they would have these guild meetings in the pagan temples of Thyatira. And so if you were a Christian, this made it very difficult uh, to practice your faith in this city uh, because you would have to go to the pagan temples to have your meetings and, and to conduct your business. And so because of this, because of this, the followers of Jesus in Thyatira just became tired of putting up a fight. Their everyday lives, their social lives were all based around the trade guilds and their industries, which would uh, mix and, and mingle with uh, the temples of the day. And so they, somewhere along the way, they stop fighting and Jesus confronts this church and, and challenges them to uh, get back on track. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to encourage you to jot a couple of things down. I, I want to give us four ways today from this text, uh, from this letter that Jesus writes, four ways that we can hold on tight. Are you interested this morning? Number one is this. If we're going to hold on tight, we're not going to slip away uh, and fall away. We're going to hold on tight. Uh, four things. First of all, you have to recognize who Jesus is. A couple days ago, we were at the dinner table, and I was playing a trivia game with my kids. <clears throat> we were doing Bible trivia, and I was asking them different Bible questions. They would raise their hand. I would call on them. They were getting points. And uh, I asked the question. I said, okay, next question. Where did Jesus grow up? And my youngest daughter, Blakely, she shot up her hand. I said, Blakely. And she said, Boston. And I said, that's a great answer, Blakely, but it wasn't Boston. I was looking for Nazareth. And, uh, and uh, sometimes there can be a little bit of confusion surrounding uh, the person of Jesus. And when Jesus writes this letter to the church, remember, this was the church at Thyatira, he begins with a dramatic and powerful reintroduction to who he is. And I believe today, uh, the church, I believe Rock Hill Church should pay attention to how Jesus introduces himself to the church. Notice it in verse number 18. It says this, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, if you haven't been with us and you're just catching up, uh, the angel was most likely the pastor, the leader of the church. And so he's writing to the leadership, unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these things saith the son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And so Jesus, much like last week in Pergamos, he begins this letter with much intensity. Uh, you can imagine showing up to church in Thyatira that day, and uh, maybe you were in a bad mood going into church. Maybe you got in an argument with your spouse on the way, and you came and sat down, and the pastor started reading this letter from Jesus, talking about eyes of fire and feet of brass. And you might have thought, man, today's going to be a unique day uh, worshiping the Lord. And uh, this was a strong introduction that Jesus gives, and he starts by saying this, I am the Son of God. This title is only used one time in the book of Revelation, and it's right here in chapter 2, when Jesus says, I am the Son of God. Now, remember, in Jewish culture and in Jewish thought, to be the son of something meant that you had the nature of that thing. Are you tracking with me today? And so, for example, the prophet Isaiah, when he called those walking in wickedness, he said they are the son of sorcerers. That meant that they had the nature of sorcerers. You might remember Jesus called two of his disciples, James and John. He called them the sons of thunder. Why did Jesus call them the sons of thunder? Because they had a, a strong, boisterous personality, that they had the nature of thunder. And so when Jesus says that he is the son of God, it means that he is the nature of God. Why did Jesus have the nature of God? Because Jesus is God. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 
And so Jesus begins this letter and he says, I want you to know who's writing. It's the son of God, the one true God. And then he says, and I have eyes, a flame of fire. Now, this speaks to his omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. Can I tell you that nothing escapes his vision? That we cannot keep anything hidden from Jesus. That the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he comes to the church of Thyatira, and he says, I see what's happening in your church. I see what's happening in your city. He has eyes like fire. And then it says that he has feet like brass. Now, in ancient culture, they believed that brass was the most uh, powerful and the strongest metal. And so brass was often symbolic of two things. It was symbolic of strength and judgment. And so this is what Jesus is saying when he's introducing himself to the church. He says, I am the one true God who sees everything and who is stronger than everyone. And I'm ready to offer righteous judgment. And so he is giving this introduction to who he is, and it's a powerful introduction. Now, like I said, many people today are confused uh, concerning the person of Jesus. Uh, this past week at the Super Bowl, uh, there was a couple of ads that made some headlines, and people were talking about these ads. It was uh, these ads that talked about how he gets us. How many of you saw these ads at the Super Bowl? Many times we saw these ads, <clears throat> he gets us. And interestingly, uh, there was much debate about these ads, uh, even from both sides of the political aisle, people were talking about these ads, even Christians were kind of arguing about these ads, like, like uh, uh, what are the intentions of this, and who is this really talking about, and, and I don't know if I fully endorse everything about the campaign, but I do appreciate the evangelism effort, and I like what Dio Moody said about evangelism, he said, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> Dio Moody kind of just had a way of just uh, appreciating the evangelism effort. And uh, the whole campaign was surrounded by this idea, he gets us. But I think the most important question today is not does he get us, the most important question is do we get him? Okay. Please hear me today because many people, they're okay with Jesus as long as he's a miracle worker. They're okay with Jesus being an enlightened teacher. They're okay with Jesus being a historical legend. They're okay with Jesus being a kind person and a good man and a good teacher and some sort of spiritual uh, philanthropist. But can I tell you today that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. And he says that he is the son of God with eyes of fire, with feet of brass. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not a man that became God. He is God that became man. And so Jesus gives this introduction to who he is. And we have to pay attention because Jesus today is not just our homeboy. He's not just a good luck charm. He's not some sort of cosmic butler that we can just call upon and, and uh, hey, just meet my needs only. No, he's exactly who he says he is. He's the Lord of Lords. And we must humbly submit and bow before him. Many people today struggle with the idea of submitting to Jesus as Lord. We're okay with Jesus being warm and fuzzy and nice feelings, and we're okay with Jesus as long as he's meeting my needs, but are we willing to submit to him as Lord? Because to do that, it means you have to acknowledge that you are not Lord of your own life, and that you're not king of your own life, but that he is the king. And so Jesus writes to Thyatira, and he begins with an introduction of who he is, reminding the church that he is God. Now, this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. We have to also rejoice over spiritual progress. So we recognize who Jesus is, but then we rejoice over spiritual progress. And I love what Jesus does here because he's going to rejoice over the progress that Thyatira, this church in Thyatira, was making. <clears throat> 
and he rejoices in the good that they were doing. It's funny, sometimes as parents, you can uh, be really excited about the small improvements that your children make, right? And uh, you have kind of the liberty to rejoice over small things. And uh, the other day, I've been teaching Luke, trying to teach Luke how to tie his shoes, and Katie's been teaching Luke how to tie his shoes, and uh, he's, he's been kind of getting it, but kind of struggling. And the other day, he walked down the stairs, and his shoes were tied. And I was like, Luke, who tied your shoes? And he said, I did. And I just had this proud dad moment. I'm like, all right, that's my son. You know, like, he tied his shoes. Like, let's, let's kill the fattened calf. Like, we're going to celebrate tonight. And uh, I was just excited because he tied his shoes on his own. You know, as a parent, I can rejoice over the, the small steps that my children take, the spiritual progress. And I'm thankful here that Jesus rejoices over the spiritual progress of this church. Uh, he's going to correct them, make no mistake about it. But before the correction comes compassion. Now, I want you to see what he says. Notice it in verse number, verse number 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. And, and so uh, he is showing that he loves the good things that they're doing. By the way, uh, love always puts discipline in the right light. This is important whether you're a boss, whether you're a parent. Uh, make, uh, discipline is hard to receive if someone doesn't know that they're loved. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Because God loves us, he will correct us. Uh, as a parent, if, if I see my children, if I see one of my kids about to walk into the street and get hit by a car, um, I'm going to say something. I'm not, that's not the time for me to say, you know what, I'm just going to let them. Uh, who am I to interfere with their individual soul liberty? You know, who am I to tell them? Who am I to interfere with their autonomy? I just, I don't want them to resent me uh, when they're older for telling them what to do. And so I'm just going to kind of take a step back and let them make their own choices. No, I'm going to say, get out of the street. Why? Because I love them too much to let them get hurt. And so there's going to be some discipline. There's going to be some correction. And Jesus says, uh, we know that for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so God will correct, but often before he corrects, he will connect and show his love and compassion. And this is what we see here taking place. Now, notice their progress. Specifically, he says, their love, their charity, their service, their faith, their patience, their works. Interestingly, if you've been following along in this study, uh, Thyatira was kind of the opposite of Ephesus. If you remember Ephesus, the first church that we studied, they were all head, no heart. Remember that? Uh, they, they had all the right head knowledge, but they weren't loving people like they should love people. Thyatira was the opposite. They were loving people great, but they didn't know exactly what it was that they believed, and they let go of some things that they should have held tightly to. And so they were loving. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 19, in the last phrase. He says, in the last to be more, everybody say more, more than the first. It's better to have a great ending than a great beginning. Some people know how to start really well. They're all fired up and they want to serve the Lord and they're on fire and they're serving God with passion and energy. Uh, but it's not about how we start, it's about how we finish. And, and here, something commendable for the church in Thyatira is that they were doing more towards the end than the beginning. In other words, they were growing, they were, they were progressing, they were, uh, they were doing more for the cause of Christ and Jesus rejoices over this progress, which begs the question for us today, could Jesus congratulate your life for your spiritual progress. If Jesus looks at your life, if Jesus looks at Rock Hill Church, would he celebrate our spiritual progress? Because the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but so much the more, uh, as you see uh, the day approaching, he says, so much the more, not so much the less. Are we doing more and more for the cause of Christ? Are we growing in our knowledge of Jesus? The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. For every one of 
uh, everyone that useth uh, milk is unskillful in the word of, word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So he's talking about spiritual infancy. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so eventually, he's using this illustration, he's saying eventually a baby has to transition to solid foods, right? Uh, eventually a baby's going to have to transition from milk to the meat. And he says the same thing is true spiritually, that so often there are people that have been saved for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and they're still drinking milk. At some point, we have to grow and we have to understand and increase our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have to be able to have this ability to rejoice in spiritual progress and to reject a spirit of stagnation uh, in our lives. And that leads us to the third thought today. Number three is this. We have to remain on guard against the enemy. So number one, we recognize who Jesus is. Number two, we rejoice in spiritual progress, but then we have to remain on guard against the enemy. Are you still with me today? A couple years ago, we took our kids laser tagging, and I like to go laser tagging. How many of you have ever been laser tagging? It's a lot of fun. And uh, our kids had never been laser tagging, so we were kind of hyping them up a little bit. We got in the ready room where they're kind of going to go over the rules, and we were sitting there, and it was just our family of five, and we were by ourselves, and then we saw another family of four come in. And I was scoping out the competition, like, okay, like, let's see what we're dealing with here. And I, I looked at Katie, and I said, we are not losing this game right now. Like, we have to win. And so I kind of huddled the kids up. I was like, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. And, uh, and uh, laser tagging is a lot of fun. And, you know, when I play laser tag, I want to go and just run around everywhere and try to, you know, uh, find everybody and, and uh, get the most points I can. But here's the reality. If you want to win at laser tag, is it okay if I give you a secret today about laser tag? Some of you are like, get back to the Bible. But just bear with me for a second. If you want to win at laser tag, you have to guard the base. Thank you. Amen. You've got to guard the base. Guarding the base sometimes isn't that fun. But if you don't guard the base, people are going to just come in there and shoot the base. That's how you get the most points. Here's what happens spiritually. Okay, I'm going to make a connection now. Are you ready? <laughs> Follow with me. Sometimes we are so busy doing Christian activity, going through the motions, all the while we are not protecting and guarding what is most valuable. Because spiritual motion does not equate to spiritual maturity. And sometimes we're busy going through the motions, doing Christian activity, but we're not guarding and protecting our heart. And the Bible says in Proverbs 4, keep that heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so what was happening in the church of Thyatira is as we just saw in verse number 19, they were busy doing a lot of motions. Would you agree? They were busy with Christian energy and Christian activity, but they weren't guarding their hearts. And so Jesus now is going to confront them in this area. And we see it starting in verse number 20. The Bible says this, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, and to commit fornication, and to eat things that are sacrificed unto idols. Now, we'll break down uh, who this woman Jezebel was, but there's one word that I want to zero in on this morning in that verse, in verse number 20, okay? So hang with me for a second. Did you notice how he says, nevertheless, I have someone against thee, because thou sufferest. Uh, that word suffer, to allow, it means to tolerate, okay? And so he says, this is what I have against you. You are tolerating, you are allowing some things to take place in the church. And so the key word here really for Thyatira is this word, tolerance. 
which I find so fascinating because what is so often preached in our culture today? Tolerance. This is something that is so relevant to our culture today. In fact, uh, the word tolerance is defined as this. Allow the existence, occurrence, or practice of something that one does not necessarily like or agree without interference. And so it's not even something that we necessarily agree with, but we are allowing it to take place. We are tolerating something to take place. Now, there's typically a pr predictable progression when it comes to uh, tolerance in the culture today. <clears throat> and I would encourage you to pay attention to this pattern in our culture today. Typically, it starts with uh, tolerate. Uh, we don't want you to speak anything against my truth. If, if I declare it as my truth, then no one can uh, question that. And so it begins with tolerate, but then it typically moves on to celebrate. Uh, I want you to celebrate my truth, and I want you to, uh, uh, to celebrate and to rejoice over me in whatever lifestyle that I choose. And so it goes from tolerate to celebrate, but it doesn't stop at celebrate. Then it goes to participate. We are not happy until you are doing the things that we are doing and you are participating with me. And so there is uh, typically this progression that takes place that we have to be aware of. Now, make no mistake about it. God has called us and Jesus has instructed us to love our neighbor as ourselves. That we are to love people, that we are to show compassion, that we are to be kind. Uh, but here is the reality. We are called to speak the truth in love. But loving people does not mean that we tolerate sin or false doctrine within the church. And so Jesus is saying, I have somewhat against thee because you have been allowing and tolerating this teaching from uh, Jezebel to in, infil, uh, infiltrate the church. Now, what was the teaching of Jezebel? Well, if you read that verse number 20, two things very specifically. He says, uh, she's leading you into sexual immorality and fornication. The word fornication in the Bible simply means any sexual activity outside of God's design of marriage. And so she was leading them into sexual activity, and she was also leading them into idolatry. They were eating things sacrificed to idols. <clears throat> and so these were the two things that Jezebel was leading them into. Now, uh, Jezebel might not have been her real name in the church. Perhaps Jesus was just uh, making a reference to 1 Kings 19, the queen of uh, the wicked king Ahab who wanted to kill God's people, kill God's prophets, kill the man of God, Elijah. Uh, this was a wicked woman. And here we see the spirit of Jezebel, this woman in the church that was leading people into damnation, uh, leading people astray from God's word. I'll give you a practical snapshot of what this might look like. Now, remember, what were the two most important uh, things that Thyatira was known for as a city? Their production of dye and the trade industry. Well, when they were a part of a trade guild, they would have to go to those temples to have those meetings, and often they were encouraged to participate in the pagan idolatry of those temples because that's where they did their, that's where they did their business. That's where they carried their conversation. That's where they had their daily life. And this was the message of this woman Jezebel. Hey, what's the big deal? You are going to these temples because it's a part of your work. You're just trying to put food on the table. And so what does it matter if you sleep with whoever you want to sleep with? What does it matter if you uh, participate in a little bit of their idolatry? Uh, what does this matter? And she was infiltrating this church with this false teaching, and they were allowing it to happen. Jesus says, you're tolerating this. And so often our problem as Christians and our struggle as Christians is sometimes we know the right things, but we are allowing the wrong things to happen. Like as a parent, you can be aware and agree that there are some things on social media that you don't want your kids to be a part of, or there's some shows on kids' YouTube that you don't want your kids to watch, but why is it that we still allow it to take place? 
And so this is what was happening at that time. There was this tolerance. There was this uh, allowance that was taking place. And Jesus confronts them and confronts this woman Jezebel that was leading people into damnation, as we'll see. Now, Jesus is going to respond to her in two ways. He's going to respond first by showing mercy, and then he's going to respond by showing judgment. But I want you to see his mercy. Are you still with me today? Notice it in verse number 21. It says this. Verse number 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. I think that this verse speaks so beautifully to the mercy of God, that he gave her space to repent, that he gave her time and wanted to show her mercy, and and he wanted her to, to, to repent and to turn her life around. Why? Because God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And this is good news today for someone that is trapped in sin or someone that is struggling with some sort of sin and it feels like you cannot get victory. I want you to know today that the mercy of God is available and that forgiveness is available and healing is available and victory is available, not in your own strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he gives her space and time and and the heart of Jesus was that this woman would repent. But it says in verse number 21 at the end, and she repented not. In other words, she rejected the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. Jesus was giving her time, and he, he, it was his desire that she would repent, but she repented not. And so because of this, there was judgment. Notice verse number 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now, that word great, those two words, great tribulation, it's not talking about uh, the end times timeline of the tribulation period. Here, it's just talking about a great season of distress and suffering. And so he said, there's going to be great suffering, except they repent of their deeds. Again, Jesus gives another caveat, uh, but I want them to come to repentance. But there's a play on words here. He says, I will cast her into a bed. And and here's what Jesus is saying. They were celebrating their bed of sexuality. And Jesus says, because you're celebrating the bed of sexuality, you will experience the bed of suffering. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be suffering. And we have to be very careful when it comes to sexual sin because you you read the New Testament. uh, Jesus always deals swiftly and seriously with sexual sin. You think about our culture today. I believe that uh, at the source of the root of almost all of the cultural conflict today uh, lies within human sexuality. Think about our culture today. I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I want to do whatever it is that I want to do. And we have to remember uh, that we are called to be separate, to come out from among them and to live a distinct and different life. And the design that we follow when it comes to sexuality goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter two. And so we follow this design that God has given us. And so uh, Jesus says, I'm giving you time to repent. Notice verse number 23. And then he uses very intense language and he says, and I will kill her children with death. Now this sounds intense. He's not talking here about the physical offspring of this woman. He's talking about the spiritual offspring. In other words, all these people that rejected Jesus, that were following this woman Jezebel, that rejected uh, the teaching uh, of the church, uh, they will experience this uh, swift judgment, Jesus is saying. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And then verse number 24, but unto you I say, and unto the rest. Everybody say the rest. 
He's saying, there are a group of you. There is the rest of you that's not giving into this false teaching. There was a remnant in Thyatira that was standing strong, that was holding true. They were believing what uh, they should have been believing. As many as have not this doctrine, which have known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. You ready for one more and we'll be done? Yep. Number four is this. If we're going to hold on tight, we have to re-engage in the fight. Re-engage in the fight. Notice verse 25. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. Now, perseverance is not a prerequisite for salvation, but perseverance is a proof of our salvation. And so he's saying, hold fast to show the evidence of your salvation. Verse number 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Now, uh, the rest, Jesus has offered uh, mercy and mercy and mercy, and then he exercises judgment. But here is the good news for those that want to hold on tight. So the, the rest of the letter, Jesus gives some encouraging promises. Are you interested in what those are today? So he says, hold fast till I come, and I will give you, at the end of verse number 26, I will give power over the nations. He says, I will give you authority over the nations. Now, uh, this sounds appealing to have authority and power over the nations. Then he says in verse 27, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers even I received of my father. Now, that verse is a direct quotation. You can look it up in Psalm chapter two, verse number nine. It was the fulfillment. He was speaking of a future fulfillment of a prophecy concerning what is called the millennial kingdom. He's pointing ahead to when Jesus will establish this kingdom. And he's saying, hey, I want you to know that you can hold on tight and you can keep on serving and keep on believing because something better is coming. There will come a time when have authority over the nations. There will come a time when you can rule and reign over the kingdom. And so he's saying, hold on tight. Something better is coming. The kingdom of God. This is good news that Jesus is saying. He's wanting to encourage the church. About 13 years ago, I was watching the show. I was watching the show Hoarders. How many of you ever seen the show Hoarders? All right. And we were watching the show Hoarders and we realized that the episode that we were watching, it was actually one of my neighbors in my neighborhood. And we were like, wow, you know, we've driven by this house so many times and it looked fine from the outside. And we had no idea what was going on on the inside in that house. And uh, they showed on TV, there was just trash and garbage in every room and you could not see the floor. And it was one of those situations where they were climbing over garbage to get from one room to the other room. <clears throat> and the most interesting thing about that episode of one of my neighbors, was that the owner of that house was a fire inspector. And so he made a living making sure other buildings were up to code that they would not be a fire hazard. Meanwhile, his own home, his entire house was a fire hazard. Here is the truth for us to re realize today. So often we will maximize the sins of others while we minimize our own sins. And it's easy to spot someone else's error a mile away. But often what we do over time is we stop fighting, we stop caring, and then we begin to tolerate our own mess. What was that fire inspector doing? He was tolerating, he was allowing a mess in his own household. 
And so Jesus is encouraging the church, hey, look to the future, recognize it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus. The plans that I have for you are not uh, evil plans. The plans that I have for you are good plans. It's worth it to follow Jesus. And I want to read one final verse today. It's in verse number 28. And I want to make sure that everybody sees it. Do you have a Bible open and ready? Notice verse number 28. If you're ready for it, would you say amen? amen? He says this, And I will give him the morning star. Now that sounds pretty good. He's going to give us the morning star, but we must, before we leave today, we have to identify the morning star. Because the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star is Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you myself. Please hear me today. The best part about following Jesus is Jesus. The best part of heaven, it's not the streets of gold. It's not the mansions. The best part of heaven is Jesus. The best part of the Christian life is not something we get in return. It's not a position. It's not a promotion. It's not some sort of material blessing. The best part of being a Christian is that we can know Jesus. I'm here today to tell you there is something far greater than the kingdom. It's the king. He says, I will give you myself. I will give you the bright and morning star. You can know me. And today I want to conclude with that question. Do you know the bright and morning star? Do you know Jesus? I'm not just asking if you know about Jesus. Do you know him personally? There are many athletes and there are many people that I know things about. I could tell you all kinds of statistics about Kobe Bryant, okay? I can just go on all day long. I, but I've never met Kobe Bryant. I have given him a high five, though. I will tell you that. But I've never met him. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And Jesus says, I want to give you the morning star. You can have a relationship with me. The disciples were confused one day and they wanted to know about how to get to heaven. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. The only way that you can know the morning star, the only way that you can have a relationship with God is to turn from your sin and to receive the good news of the gospel, to receive Jesus Christ into your life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.